Welcome to Robot Kraken, where Chris of Deeply Dapper and Tom of Third Rail Design Lab talk about movies, shows, comics, entertainment news, general miscellany, pretty much anything, and for extended length of time. I'm just milking it right now while Tom finishes eating something. <laughs> Chowing on some ibuprofen, no big deal. Are you eating baby aspirin? Do they still make baby aspirin? I don't think so. <laughs> That's a problem with the world today. Baby aspirin are like full aspirin. Mm. So full aspirin is just, I don't know, barbiturates, something. <laughs> Dude, I remember when I was a kid, I used to love that asper gum. Where it was like aspirin. that that like tart orange flavored gum that was ninety eight percent aspirin. <laughs> it's weird. I knew of it, but I never actually chewed it because I was a reasonable child. I, I didn't have not. access to, nor will it, nor was I willing to chew aspirin gum. <laughs> it was delicious, dude. It had a, a flavor chew. that's never been replicated in life. <laughs> <laughs> I judge you, and yet I sat there and I freebased big league chew, which was just, I don't know. Well, that I don't was even new. know if they were... Gum was newfangled when you were a kid, wasn't it? <laughs> no. Not at all. It's whatever was the opposite of newfangled. But that was just a an appropriation of the baseball players using chew on TV. And so they made Big League Chew to make it okay. Right. Uh, and it wasn't. Gum was invented... Gum was invented because attempts to make... To synthesize rubber for aircraft tires... In wartime, okay, they got the mix wrong, and they ended up with. I'm, I'm completely wrong. That was uh, ta- that was taffy, saltwater taffy. That's how that. <laughs> no, I don't even know. No, wait a minute. Isn't taffy just like sugar and like water that they just spin together until it becomes magic? <laughs> Chris, I wasn't there, but I read a thing. <laughs> They're like I studied history, Chris. <laughs> well, taffy, these are taffy and tires are related. Why these aren't tires at all? And somebody else was like, "Maybe we should try chewing it." Maybe everything I learned was wrong. It was all like laying the groundwork for, you know, animated things where the where the aircraft tires got all like gloopy when they landed. You know? so they, clearly, did you go to a school where you went into the classroom and they just started playing Looney Tunes? And they're like, "Welcome to history." <laughs> I went to school where there were no grades. They just piped the lessons into the lobbies, you know. Anyway. They're like, welcome to California. This is how we teach. So Everyone... this is how episode This is how the episode starts, is this sort of lunacy. Everyone take out your avocados. Hey man. It's time for avocados lunch. Avocados are delicious. Avocados are delicious, but that's not I mean, that's how you see California is avocados. <laughs> Well, not sun-dried orange is cliche dude that's true and now nowadays it's all florida right because we paved over all of our orange groves right to make booze which are the lifeblood of your existence we sacrifice orange groves for you to make what but what are... movies oh mo- i thought you said wookies <laughs> sort of you got wookies down there <laughs> certain neighborhoods only certain neighborhoods listen what I'm saying is we sacrifice that crop, but we still we still grow sun-dried tomatoes and we still grow feta. 
Those are well known. You Those grow are California cuisine items. Tomatoes? I always assumed that you... you grew tomatoes and then they became sun dried tomatoes. That's Is it just the lack Idaho of water in California? <laughs> no, no, that's that's a typical Idaho misconception about how <laughs> we create our foodstuffs in California, which are, by, by the way, something like whatever, 70% of all the foodstuffs you eat, period. Even the potatoes you eat. Have came you seen California. what I eat? <laughs> And you know it's as well as rum, I do, all the potatoes come right out of my backyard. <laughs> take your take your crack and rum bottle and tell me where it was made. Let's find out. The Kraken I, rum has one. imported. The Kraken yeah, imported is imported rum from the Caribbean, blended with natural flavors. Uh, no, was... the Caribbean. That's a mis- That's a typo. <laughs> it's imported from California. So basically, everything that you love, everything you hold dear came from California, including me. This was bottled but, in Lawrenceburg, Indiana. <laughs> that's what they tell you to make you feel better about it. Because they know that you guys are a little bit uncomfortable with everything you get coming from California. I get it. I feel like I'm holding but a since, baby when I hold this bottle. <laughs> since you're holding a, 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 a daily portion of uh, crack and rum, <laughs> it's a good time to uh, ask you what you're drinking tonight. What are you drinking? What are you drinking? Sucking the monkey here on Robot Kraken. Yes. Well, what is it? What are you well, drinking? I ask you. I am drinking a tiny bottle of Coca-Cola with a nope. hefty swig of Kraken mixed in. Interspersed by direct swigs of Kraken, I noticed. Yes, yes. Look at the bottle versus the other bottle because this is radio. <laughs> It's like, why is he changing his oil at this time? And then I realized it was Kraken rum. That's what you're drinking. <laughs> An unofficial sponsor of the robot-kraken.com yeah. podcast. Kraken so rum. I'm we having, love you. Yeah, <laughs> we do. We really do. So I'm having, uh, surprising no one that listened to us last week, an hour ago, uh, I'm having a delicious margarita. Oh, are you having another margarita? I am. What exactly but, is in your margarita, sir? Well, uh, who? I don't Tom just fell the... asleep. <laughs> well, the problem is my my level of uh, sleep deprivation and dehydration combined with lack of eating and having a margarita. You'd think it was the seventh margarita, frankly. <laughs> so it's but, it's got a mix, uh, but what do you put in a margarita besides the mix? Like, is there tequila? Tequila, yeah, sure. How do you make a margarita? <laughs> I've, I've genuinely Post never a. had a margarita. Come on. <laughs> you're kidding. I'm sheltered, sir. I understand it's Idaho and everything. And I understand that you you were previously in last week's episode an hour ago. You were pouring your alcohol into, what was it? Like lemon berry, electric blue, berry cola or something like that? Berry lemonade it? from the Jones Cola Company. <laughs> Where do you even find such a thing? The grocery store. <laughs> Come on. Have you There's never no had way. a Jones Cola before? No, I don't even know what a Jones Cola it's is. Delicious. It seems like I wouldn't have. They're the weird company that makes like every Thanksgiving they come out with those weird ass bottles you can buy at Target that's like cranberry sauce and roasted turkey flavored soda. No. Oh yeah. See, let me let me tell you something about California. We don't have that. Whatever you just described, we don't have that here. You know what we're doing for our Thanksgiving podcast now? <laughs> I'm buying you these and shipping them to you, and we will drink them on air, sir. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good idea. That might be a bad idea. 
Well, okay, that's fine. Uh, so uh, I made this delicious mix, and this is kind of a um, well. There's a disparity here, but I made it with Patron. But then at the same time, I used Mr. And Mrs. T to mix it with because I didn't have the time initially <laughs> to mix it properly with real ingredients. And yet, this is the second one, and I didn't still. It right genuinely anyway, seems to me also. that if you mixed it with a pre-mixed margarita mix like that, that the Patron would literally like climb out of the glass and walk away, <laughs> possibly throwing you know its how, hat on the floor as it did it. <laughs> you know when you put ice in. You know how when you put ice in a drink and it goes crack. You know, right. You know, like it splits. Right. When I put uh, like a big my one of my big whiskey block ice cubes. Right. And when I put it in, it just went and just sucked it up. What it did is it sucked up all the Patron. Right. So I'll save you from this. Uh, so later well, tonight on this podcast, when it sounds like Tom has a giant ball in his mouth, it's because he's sucking his <laughs> Patron ice cube. You suck your Patron and be quiet. Yeah, that's fine. I'll accept that. All right. Well, so uh, so what what are we going to be talking about today? This is the second of our hours tonight, but our next week's podcast. This is, yes. a, this is what I talked about as time problems that I have. <laughs> this is the future and the past at the same time. I don't even know what to think. Yeah, it's one of the, so the downsides we... of us having two people doing a podcast in two different parts of the country. And one of which has a legitimate full-time job and children while the other <laughs> one <laughs> sat around that and watched no. YouTube videos while he waited for. <laughs> you were watching YouTube videos instead of, Rushing up on heat so we could talk about it. I was. It, had I known it was taking that long, I could have watched the entire thing and read the script. But, you know. Yeah. Sure. And, the, and the book about the script that <laughs> right. I have. We talked about that one time last week, which was an hour ago. Well, I think we should talk about some 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 movies, possibly. Some sweet reviews. Some sweet, sweet reviews. Yeah. Like some Kraken reviews. Some Kraken reviews. I think that's so, where we spend a bit more focused energy on things, right? <laughs> focused is not the word I'd use, but I, I plan to be fairly obtuse about this um, and fractured in my viewpoint. So, but Chris, here's the thing. You recently had a marathon. You had a marathon with your sweet, sweet wife, didn't you? Yes, I sure did, sir. What did you watch? We sat down and over the course of a day and a half, we watched Marvel Strawberry Phase Shortcake, 1. Strawberry animated series. No. <laughs> <laughs> we watched Start the up. Marvel Start. Cinematic Universe Phase 1 and most of Phase 2. We watched Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 2, Thor, Captain America, The First Avenger, The Avengers. Then we moved on to Phase 2 where we watched Iron Man 3, Thor, The Dark World, Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Then we went to bed. <laughs> Is it a tough nut because... We could spend seven hours on each episode. We really each, could. Uh, movie so I think in general, what I'd like to know is how many of those movies had you seen before you did the marathon? <clears throat> um, I had seen most of the earlier ones. Uh, I had seen Iron Man, The Incredible Hulk, Thor, Captain America, and The Avengers. So I went in completely fresh to phase two, and I had not okay. seen Iron Man 2 prior to this. Okay. All right. So, uh, thinking about those phase one films that you saw again, which you saw at least once, right? Yes. What stood out for you as something that you still really enjoyed and what maybe in each of them 
you know, didn't re- didn't resonate the way it did originally. You know, the thing I thought was kind of interesting was rewatching these with my wife in particular because she's mm-hmm. she's a nerd, but she's not mm-hmm. necessarily a comic book nerd. And yeah. pardon me. A lot of these films, she didn't really have the comic book nerd background on them, which <laughs> I thought was kind of interesting. Heart, did you have a heart incident just now? <laughs> you got a shudder. You said, pardon me. It was sort of like you were doing. Pardon me. Like, and then my arm <laughs> twitched and I smelled bread. <laughs> yeah, I hit your chest a few times and keep going. <laughs> the the Coca-Cola and rum combination here is a little carbonate-y. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But it was funny watching The Incredible Hulk in particular because though they play it off as being something that's kind of a standalone film, it has a lot of nods back to the Ang Lee one, which I'd forgotten about. Really? Like, is that is that part of the contemporary MCU? It is, is not. It's not considered part of the, the film series. And it's funny. So in MCU, there's only Avengers as Hulk's. Well, and the Incredible Hulk is considered part of the first the series, but the oh, it is. the Ang Lee one is not considered part of it. Right, because in Avengers they talked about him being like, in whatever, Mexico or Dan- wherever it was. Oh yeah, 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 sure, sure. So okay, so Ang Lee is not part of continuity anymore, but they had nods back to it, like right, what? and like like to the point that my wife was completely unfamiliar with the backstory of the Incredible Hulk, and. Right. She was off, I don't know what she was doing, playing her Game Boy or something while the intro was playing. So she mm-hmm. missed the entire backstory because they don't mention it at all in the movie. They jump right into the actual story on it. I'm not an expert in watching films or cinema in general. Mm-hmm. I really am not. Uh, but I'm pretty sure playing Game Boy during the intro to a movie is probably not the best way to get into it. <laughs> Generally I'm not speaking, criticizing no. your wife because she's wonderful. I'm just saying, I don't know, Game Boy... It's old. It could have waited. Yes, I agree. Um, And it was kind of funny to go into that movie in particular where it doesn't have the feel of the rest of the Marvel movies in a lot of ways. It's kind of – it takes place in a different country. It's kind of very self-contained. It doesn't really contain any of the elements of the – other Avenger ends of things. And Thor's kind of sure. the same, but they Thor has a heavy shield presence, which makes it different yes, it in does. that respect. You know, it's interesting. I think about it just now. And, uh, your wife played... So she played the Game Boy through the first 11 minutes of that movie. Right. And my wife falls asleep after 11 minutes. So... <laughs> With your wife and my wife together, it would be similar to when I had to leave at the end of Hail Caesar and then my wife completed the story for me Right when she woke up when I left. Through kind of right? half-spoken, this one guy who I don't know why, but he did this thing sure. and I don't know why. <laughs> so did you like that Incredible Hulk movie? I don't hate it. I... What casting? Did you like the casting? I like what's-his-butt as Bruce Banner. Uh Ed Norton. Norton. Um, but I really prefer Jennifer Connelly as Betty or Betsy or yeah, whatever. I really have to say. Then again, though, I have to say that's probably one of those circumstances where our bias going into it influences how we see it because Very Jennifer true. Connelly, I mean, we go way back saying, yeah, stand up actress. Yes. Right. <laughs> we like her aesthetically and in her performances. She makes many, my many microphone years. go. <laughs> so. Crack and rum. 
Unofficial yes. sponsor of Robot Dash Kraken. So <laughs> Edward Norton, interestingly though, I remember at the time there was all that hubbub about how he like rewrote half the movie or something. Yeah. And he was very yeah. dominating on set, and it, it really remi- it surprises me that that's part of the continuity of the Marvel universe because you don't get the sense to me anyway. Mm. You don't get the sense that in the modern MCU that actors have overpowered the 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 production of the films and you know because of weaknesses in them and taken over to try to save them right i mean robert downey jr is very involved and there's a lot of improv in iron man with john favreau and he's very involved in in the creation of the tony stark that we see on film but right the the perception we got during production was that ed norton basically attempted to save this project right and you know which it's interesting to me, too, that he was such an overbearing presence that it – I mean they basically didn't invite him back for the Avengers. And watching him all in sequence like this, you really get the vibe that it's included in Phase 1 almost exclusively because they liked the evenness of having 6 and 6 and mm-hmm. not because it necessarily fit into the sequence at all. It was interesting, though, that him being in another country and on the run was a was a very strong nod to the TV series that the Ang Lee film didn't have. Right. Right. Yeah. This one definitely felt a lot more like the original Ferrigno series without question. Do you think do you think Ed Norton took over because the script was falling apart or do you think it was because Louis Leterrier was not as uh, accomplished as a domestic director you know i have been doing really foreign don't films, know but... because i've read a lot of stuff that about norton and how he has a tendency to kind of do that where he walks into a film and kind of takes over certain portions of things almost like well i wish i was directing this instead of you kind of thing and Did it's see, uh, birdman i He's i have not seen something. it i've heard it's really good though Look, I know you're in Idaho, but you have to see Birdman. I know it <laughs> probably wasn't at your local Cineplex, but it you was gotta not. go get that. You have to get that movie because it's you know everyone talks about it as being so referential to to the Tim Burton Batman and right. and you know all those obvious parallels and everything else, the very fourth wall nature of it. But Ed Norton plays Ed Norton taking over a play, right? <laughs> He's playing himself taking over a play. Really? So it's really interesting. You know his persona in terms of what we read in, in I want to say the papers, but you know what, online you read right. of this production stuff, gossip about him. He's very clearly playing up his own image as an actor who takes over the the productions that he gets involved in. So That's interesting. Anyway, when you see that, you'll remember this. Yeah, and, and really Most, the thing that, like strikingly stood out to me with the incredible hulk is how one-dimensional william hurt is as thunderbolt he is straight up in a bad guy he's got no other dimension to his character at all in that film in uh in last week's podcast which was an hour ago uh i was make i was commenting about the script notes podcast that i was recommending Mm -hmm. and one of the things they also mentioned about uh, screenwriting, but also about the production of film, where they were talking about how it's very possible that actors are miscast, quite literally miscast. It's not just a, a, a cute expression that 
very accomplished actors can fall apart because they've taken on a project that just does not suit their style or their personality. And they were talking about it in the context of screenwriting that when they're when they're looking at projects, when they were talking about directors looking at scripts, right? Mm-hmm. And they're saying, well, the best thing that can happen is a, screen, uh, a director will look at a script and say, can I do it or not, right? right? Can I honestly, can I find that? Can I find the nugget in there and make it happen? Or is it not speaking to me? And they were talking about how so many times projects, they could have had a good script and a great director and great actors, but it fell apart because the the link between those three didn't work, right? Right. So William Hurt is a classic example of a brilliant actor. I mean, he's amazing. Absolutely. But between the direction and the script, he was not utilized in this film in a way. It, he just was not there. Not right. there. And that's one of the things that excites me about uh, Civil War. Mm-hmm. Is that and, and you were talking about how this is the only one that's tied into the MCU. Right. They're bringing him back as... Uh, Ross, right? Right, which I think is interesting. I because I I actually really missed Sam Elliott as Ross. Mm-hmm. I loved him in the first one as Thunderbolt. I thought he was an excellent casting for that. But yeah, I'm actually pretty excited about seeing Hurt back as Thunderbolt Ross in the new one. Mm. I you know the other thing I thought was interesting was the ways in which the the first Incredible Hulk modern movie and this The Incredible Hulk or however that works. Hulk and Incredible Hulk? I don't remember how uh, they Hulk and Incredible named them differently. Hulk, yeah. yeah. So Ang Lee's one had some really interesting stuff about it. Like, I mean, uh, that's a whole other thing. I mean, there's a lot to be said for that film. <laughs> right. Even though it did not ultimately work very well as a piece of art, it was very interesting. He did a lot of stuff, particularly at the onset of the modern generation of comic films he, right. he took a lot of risks that i don't think paid off i, I some of which didn't really work for me they didn't work for me a lot of them didn't work for me but i appreciated their effort right yeah um but the two things that i really liked that ang lee did is he played with scale so yes Hulk physically got larger the angrier he got he got bigger and bigger yeah. and bigger right yeah i thought and that was at the same really time interesting he used take. yeah and then also at the same time he used scale to uh present a narrative about the role of Hulk in the experience. So for example, when he's dominant and scary, he was very big as well as being angry where he's very big. He's looming above the trees during the whole weird Hulk dog thing. (laughs) And and then chasing, chasing uh, Jennifer Conley through all of the the industrial piping and all that stuff. But then when the military is going after him and he's out in the desert, Mm -hmm. he uses these really great uh, widescreen shots where you see everything in one shot and Hulk is very small in the screen. Right. And they're firing at him and everything else. And he's bouncing around. He looks like a flea. And so, you know, you're supposed to emote that, okay, poor Hulk's being chased down by all these military guys. And so you scale to change Hulk from being a menace to being a Which sympathetic Which was really thing. kind of brilliant in a lot of ways. I thought that was really cool. The TLDR version of the the Hulk. I didn't like the comic panels and all that stuff that he did. And which is there was funny because I actually things. enjoyed that. Oh, <laughs> see, that's the same reason I can't get into the Sin City stuff. And right, and I think people who like the appropriation of comic imagery, <clears throat> you know, dove right into that. But I just couldn't do it anyway. Well, and I think so, it's one of those things where they kind of take. When you're watching a film, when you see something like that, it takes you out of the movie and it reminds you, oh, you're watching a comic book. But if you're enjoying the film, you don't need to be taken out and said, oh, look, you're watching a comic book kind of thing. Well, in 
in both Sin City and Hulk. My problem was, and maybe to a point, uh, Dick Tracy as well. Mm. I, my problem was, in each case, I felt like the production looked at the they looked down on comics. Yeah, and I know that's a bit of a stretch when you talk about Sin City because that's <laughs> such a labor of love. But the bottom line is, when you make a film and you try to appropriate comic imagery. As if someone's looking at a comic on screen, right. to me, you're looking down on comics. Because comics, I mean, you and I love comics. We love the physical object of the comic and everything else. But the bottom line is the comic is a delivery system for a story. And it's right. in a very particular art style. It's a very particular medium to do that. And there's language that goes along with that, with the panels and the, what happens between them and everything else. But the bottom line is it's a delivery system for story. Right. And when something like Hulk <clears throat> forces the comic panel on screen... Right? right or Sin City pushes back into art and back and then and then back into the thing. To me, that's saying our movie is real and and, and visceral and and the elevated version of the story. And look what it came from. No, right? I can see that. The, yeah, I don't know. To me, that's that's how I take that. Uh, conversely, with the Hulk, the Incredible Hulk that you watched, mm-hmm. what I liked was that that was a Hulk. Uh, that that he it looked a little bit more like Ed, Edward Norton mm-hmm. grew like into him. It wasn't as yeah. it wasn't as weird uh, video game effects as the first Hulk, right? Which by by and large, I mean we have to give them credit. They had to they had to they chose I guess to do him in full daylight in uh, in San Francisco, standing around, which <laughs> right. was a very strange choice because nothing looks good in broad daylight like that, right? They, well, and particularly, I mean, that was 16 years ago that that one came out, too. <laughs> well, in Incredible Hulk, they, they they made it a lot more convincing. He was much more uh, physical and yes. dynamic in how they portrayed the Hulk himself. I think that that part looked really great, and the problem I had was when they transition tim roth as uh blonsky yes. into the abomination they and i had some concerns about doomsday and the upcoming uh batman film but batman film with superman in him <laughs> but 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 it, it looks like at least there there's some interesting things going on but i think when we first talked about that trailer we said it looks like they took the abomination and tweaked it a little it's bit right exactly it yeah and <laughs> That was my biggest problem with the Hulk overall is like the opening sequence and like the first three quarters of the film. It's a solid Hulk film. It's what you want from the Hulk. It's him trying to save Betty and he's being attacked by Thunderbolt Ross and he's trying not to get angry. Although (laughs) living where he was living isn't the wisest choice in my opinion. Um, But then it's like that last part where Blonsky becomes the abomination. Suddenly it's just two CG characters with no sense of gravity and weight pounding on each other for friggin' 15 minutes. And if, and if Ang Lee's Hulk looked weird, standing around a broken, like a weird manhole cover in Telegraph Hill in broad right. daylight. Uh, I'm not sure that the best approach to making a convincing fight between Hulk and the Abomination would be the Sunset Strip or whatever it was. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, it just didn't, I mean, that imagery was just ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, that... I don't have a good. I don't have a good takeaway on that film. My no. memory of it was like I wouldn't rewatch that film. Well, and it was funny rewatching it because I was 
like halfway through, I'm like, God, I don't remember enjoying this film as much as I'm enjoying it right now. Mm. It's pretty solid. It's got a little bit of humor. It's directed pretty well. I mean, it's the guy that did the transporter who has a handle on action. And a lot of the action scenes are really good in that. And then it hits that last part and it leaves such a sour taste in your mouth that it immediately knocks any goodwill that the film had built prior to that to nothing. I'd have to check our original review of that film and, and I'll put it on our robot cracker yeah. website. But <clears throat> I feel like that's where I landed was that the third act just butchered it. Yeah, the, absolutely. The loss turning into the, uh, is there even a, a Marvel comics analog? Is it Zix or whatever? The, I have no in the Marvel idea. Handbooks, there is a character. I think he was a West coast Avengers villain, if not before, but it was just like electrical giant. And it's like, <laughs> ZX. Right. Six. Yeah, so that was it was terrible. That was definitely the weakest of the Phase One films. Although I didn't necessarily enjoy Iron Man Two that much either. Now I'm really interested to hear your take on that film because uh, my taste has definitely bucked the conventional wisdom on it. Uh, the spoiler alert is that I really enjoyed it, but <laughs> I want to hear what your thoughts were on it. The the other spoiler alert is that Tom is probably the biggest Iron Man fan you will meet. <laughs> oh, oh, listen, he wasn't the first superhero I drew, but he was definitely the first I enjoyed. <laughs> Love. He was the first I, I ripped off in my own characters, that's for sure. Right. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of Iron Man influence can be seen in a lot of your original designs and your your world that you've created without question. I mean, I think that it's equal parts Masamune Shiro and 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 mm. obviously some Iron Man imagery, but yes, absolutely. And you know, uh when you we skipped over some of these you know, obviously these principal films that grounded the the Marvel universe, but right. uh you know, Captain America the First Avenger was an absolutely brilliant film and no small movie. part due to the fact they were willing to embrace the merging of the forties and the current, right. You know, all that stuff. That was absolutely amazing. I loved it. And then also the original Iron Man, uh, we talk about that periodically that we take it for granted now. Yeah. So that defined the Marvel it universe. defined the Marvel universe so solidly that it's, I think that's another thing that was a negative for incredible Hulk is watching Iron Man prior to that. And then immediately diving into the Hulk it actually really hurt the Hulk in retrospect because Iron Man is such a solid establishment of what the Marvel movie genre is, what it looks yeah. like, what kind of humor it has. And honestly, the Hulk and Iron Man 2, to a certain extent, does not reach that level. Iron Man you know, 2 is really good still. I yeah. enjoyed it, but I didn't enjoy it nearly as much as Iron Man. You know, it's interesting, though, that Iron Man started the MCU and established a tone about how these films were going to be. Not so much that they were going to imitate that film, but that they were going to be a unique combination of an interesting actor with this material to create something that was a little freeform from what you had expected in the past, particularly, you know, what we consider now the DCWB version of right. Of, of superhero films, which is very regimented and not very fun. Right. I'm sorry. That's how I see it. <laughs> it's interesting that Cap and Iron Man were the two that really grounded the MCU. And that's what makes it so interesting. The Civil War is going to be about them. Right. Going to like that. Yeah. Because in the comics, in my impression, being a Marvel zombie growing up, I, I never felt like there was this compelling idea that Cap and Iron Man were 
fundamentally ideologically at odds, you know, for, no, for, for no. decades before that battle, that story established a point where there was going to be, you know, you, you know, register or not unmask or not. And cap surprisingly in my mind, surprisingly said, that's not American. I'm going. And now granted, he, oh, yeah. he has a, there's a tradition of cap breaking from the government and going nomad. Right. Right. Like the politics of the government, which is in and of itself, very strange for a military person, <laughs> but right. that's beside the point. Yeah, but honestly, Civil War in and of itself has always really surprised me which direction the two characters right. went. You would think it would be the reverse, right? right. And, I, and I think that maybe that's probably what sold the pitch. But yeah. as a reader, I was like, Iron Man, Tony Stark should be the one saying, screw you, I've been avoiding giving you my tech for right. you know, however yeah. I've been doing it. And Cap has been the poster boy for government. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, if so, you think about it, like Tony Stark's point of view should be logically watching and reading comics for as long as we have. He should be the guy that's like, well, you guys know who I am because it came out kind of thing. But you can't have my tech. And look at all the shit I've had to go through because people know who I am. And but in the MCU, it does make sense that he would be right. on the side of registration because They've firmly established that he has a lot of guilt and stress. Yes. Guilt. He has stress over the threats to the humanity. And then he has guilt over his ability to, uh, you know, perform at the level that he he expects of himself. Right. So in that sense, that makes sense. Whereas uh, bringing a relatively short period of time in the MCU, Cap has been thawed out, right? right. In the comics, it's been decades that he's been thawed or whatever, <laughs> you know, the way – comics time works i don't yes. know but you know in the mcu he's like he's been thought out and it's been slapped around for i don't know five years and here he is right so to him he went in to the military at a in in a patriotic period of wartime mm-hmm. very pro-american very you know bring my soldiers home more than fight the bad guy right right and then and now he's shunted into the for, into the present and right from the get-go he's faced with difficulties right that's been the whole narrative about him not just the man at a time that he's the farm boy that doesn't understand the modern world right it's also been about him having to immediately deal with gray when he's been black and white right and 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 to me that makes it more rational that he would resist from what i can tell from the trailers his major problem is not registration it's that they're they're uh going after Winter Soldier or they're threatening Winter Soldier. Yeah, and I don't know how I feel about that being his justification in this in a lot of ways. It seems to me that Captain America would be a more rational person than to be like, we're going to cause all this chaos and battle and fighting and death because you're going after my buddy. Well, but see, here's the thing, though. That's his his own – that's his sole heir. Well, not heir, but it's his sole family member – in the big picture, right? Which is he's true. The only, he's the only person from his former life. He's got this. He's he's established this deep need to try to save him. In, right. In what? And you just saw a Winter Soldier, right? Right. And also, we don't know the backstory. Of, you know, just seeing trailers, but right. I have a sense that it's a circumstance that's being orchestrated or influenced by. You know, crossbones and these guys. I mean, that it's been, right. you know, that there's more to it than just the government. Like the government may be acting, maybe altruistically, but it's right. being spurned on by some, you know, less than savory motivations. 
that someone else is inserting. And I think that that's where he would draw the line is, you know, I'm already divorced from this government by, mm -hmm. you know, several decades and it's very complicated. And the government organization shield was corrupted and all this other stuff. All I've seen is a bunch of failed bureaucracy well, right. what was he fighting in World War II? Failed bureaucracy, right? He was well, fighting a government. Well, there's just so many lies and double talk and that kind of thing these days compared to the world he came from. Well, but... I think there was still – I well, I don't know about that. I, mean, <laughs> I think that it was still happening then. But the point is he came into the war in World War II uh, you know, completely believing the hype, the propaganda right. about the Nazis. And at the same time, it was fairly legit and he was dealing with the skull, Red Skull. Right. So – what he was dealing with ultimately was a government got run, run amok, not a people run amok, right? Right. He was – never see him saying, well, the Germans are this and that. He was always very specific about the leadership. Right. right. It's the so Nazis me, and Hydra, not right. an it's, entire it's country. Possible to me, it's plausible to me that him jumping this many de decades forward would say the government, the U.S. government is corrupt and yeah. has lost its way. Yeah. And I'm no longer the symbol for that. Yeah, I guess my um, biggest anything, problem – sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Well, I guess I, I, my biggest problem with the jump from comic to movie in motivation for this entire thing is that in the comics, it was a much more bam reason for why they wanted to do this registration act. It wasn't, oh, well, Bucky's here and we <laughs> – we don't like Bucky. Yeah. We need to catch him. It was a friggin', no, no, no. I mean, explosion and death in a school and unregistration. Right. And it just made such a, a heavier toll, in my opinion, than what they're using for the movie as impetus. Well, but, you know, what's interesting about that, though, is that the 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 level of destruction in comics versus the 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 movie world the movies are are set in this semi reality right so right you see in the in the most recent trailer that Ross is showing them and saying look at all this stuff look at what's happened here here's Manhattan That's going true. down here's here's an entire you know former Eastern Bloc country a huge chunk of a city that's being raised into the sky and then plummeted back to earth you know look at all these increasingly uh, horrific things that are happening to yeah. civilians because of superhero of superpowered individuals, we need to clamp down on it. That's true. I, comics, I'd forgotten about that, actually. So in the comics, I mean, you know, they save the galaxy every 10 issues, right? Like there's right. no scale to the risk. And while they've attempted to insert some reality here and there, you know, there's a very short memory in comics. Right. Well, so, and I guess that's one of the things that made that comic so intense like you said is that so much of the stuff in the comics was on a like multi-galactic scale that have something driven home like a school explosion was really striking right. and strong and this i is could totally on the side but i no go ahead sorry no and i, I could see how I'd, I'd forgotten about that scene in the trailer where they show all of the the massive destruction that's wrought because of these superhuman humans well, it, this is kind of an aside, but when the 9-11 uh, Memorial Comics came out, I felt like it was very heavy-handed. It really and was. Because we're dealing with a world, a comic world where this you know galactic-level violence, like we we were talking about, mm -hmm. happens all the time. For them to be, for, for you know, Captain America to be sitting around crying in, at the at the wreckage of not of the World Trade Center towers didn't seem. It, I, 
that was so on the nose I couldn't handle it. There was, was. a lot of ways of handling them doing cleanup that could have been different. Yeah, or it, was, it was kind of disingenuous. About, it felt more like, oh, we need to do something, so we're going to do this because it's the most obvious yeah. thing to do. What I would have liked to have seen was stories about superhero characters reminding people that you can't make assumptions about people in their culture based on the acts of a very few people. Right. right. I mean, at the time that those comics were being drawn, a Sikh was being pulled out of his Seven <laughs> Eleven and brutalized. Uh, had nothing to do with it. it. Was the wrong religion. Everything about it was wrong. This was happening. <laughs> and then they're they're doing these stories where you know Captain America and Spider Man are sitting around crying. It just doesn't. Right. So that compared to Civil War, where they have this this mishap and then they blow up and the uh, school is destroyed and a bunch of people are killed, that resonated to me in a much more personal level. And I didn't have kids at the time, right. but it felt real. And no small part to the artist, right? But it was right. it felt real, and it felt like a legitimate thing that the that the that culture would react against, Absolutely. and that the government would react against. But I think in the I think in the film version, it's going to be about him seeing that Bucky is being unfairly attacked, lethal in a lethal way, like right. shoot to kill, and that it's corrupt, and he knows that it's not right, and he needs to save his childhood friend mm-hmm. from something that he understands clearly is not right. Yeah, I hope that they he can can't pull convey that. that to, yeah, and he can't convey that to Stark. And right, I don't know. But uh, boy, it looks good. It, it does looks really good. Uh, yeah, it's we, it's intense looking. That's for sure. <laughs> so we diverged a bit. I wanted to hear about your perception of uh, all, all your wrong ideas about Iron Man Two. <laughs> Honestly, my my largest problem with Iron Man Two was just the pacing on it seemed really off to me. It was, yeah, it was. Like the the story solid. The curse, I liked the casting overall. I really like. I think this is possibly the movie where I liked Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow the most. Oh yeah, she's wow, fantastic yeah. in this movie. And she was cool in the first one with the boxing ring where she yeah. did the little flip. But, okay, but this is the one where she she got to shine. Right. Right. Yeah. Where her body double did. Right. Right. And I, I liked Sam Rockwell as Hammer. I thought he was really solid. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. I just... It felt really poorly paced out, in my opinion. It was. I think you're right. I think you're right that it didn't have the the strong structure that it needed. Yeah. Has Sam Rockwell ever done anything where he didn't live... Like, he didn't bring more... To, he didn't bring more him to it than he is like the character. Amazing yeah. in pretty much everything I've seen him in. Um, I was thinking about Galaxy Quest last week. I want to rewatch yeah. that, and uh, I was thinking about how he just basically owned that too. Yeah, and like I didn't necessarily care for the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy movie, but I really liked him in it. I thought he was yeah. really solid as Zaphod, um, and I I love him in Matchstick Man. That's a yeah, movie I no, watch no, no, yeah. fairly regularly just because it's a he's just so fantastic in it. That's um, one of the movies that I had but lost and I haven't watched it. Ah, yeah, it's really good. I and I I I mean Moon, obviously we both love Moon. Sure. That movie's fantastic. Sure. Um but yeah, I love him in everything I've seen him in, honestly. On the basis of Moon, I'll watch uh Warcraft. Even right, though right. I could care I could care less about World of Warcraft. But if Duncan Jones is doing it, I'm going to watch it. Yeah, that that movie is kind of 
a bizarre enigma to me because it seems, even though I know he's a big gamer, it does not seem like the project he would have chosen. Yeah. It really does it's seem so weird. Like, so we just called him up and said, you have to do this giant movie. Right. Like, oh, okay. Are yeah, you sure? You know? It's like 98% CG and those weird tusks that they have to friggin' talk around somehow. It's just really odd the to me. The first trailer looked like a Hobbit or Lord of the Rings retread. I had no interest. I was like, I'm not going to see this. I think I wrote that. I'm not going to see right. it. And then uh, the second trailer established that the, there's a human character and an, and an orc character or a orc or an ogre. I don't know which. I have orc, no idea, honestly. <laughs> whichever. In uh, let me tell you, in 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 Dungeons and Dragons, in Advanced Dungeons and Dragons world, orcs are small, ogres are large. Ogres are big, so I don't right. know. What's happening in this? But anyway, there's one <laughs> character of the species, and then there's one human, and they figure out that the bigger war is, you know, ill-conceived, and they right. have to try to attempt to stop it. And that part made me more interested because now it's become the last Starfighter. Right? Well, but it, with an inexplicably sexy orc in there too, I don't understand why the females what? are super hot. I didn't see that. Yeah, the the females look like regular human females with green skin and tusks. They're like a eh. fraction of the size oh. of the the males, which well, I know is sort of nature based, eh. but <laughs> oh, I don't know. Well, and it's funny tough, too because I mean he went from Moon to Source Code to Warcraft, and it's you know, just such a weird jump. You see Source Code? I have, yeah. I don't know if this says anything, but I don't remember how it ended. Oh, you know, I saw it on the <laughs> I don't either, I saw to it be honest. With like, 80, <laughs> with like 80 rums, and so I don't even know how it ended, but, you know. I like the cast. I like certain members of the cast. I remember right? that. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> we, we touched on that on an earlier podcast. Certain aspects of the cast we like more than others. But, right. Uh, so, uh, interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, See, I don't know. So, World of Warcraft. Well, so the other thing is when you said about the orc females being humanoid and pretty. Right. Every time I watch Shrek with my kids, I'm struggling <laughs> with the fact that they attempted to make a reasonably anamorphic anamorphic? Yeah, sure. Female <laughs> ogre. Yeah, she's got yeah. curves and whatever else. She's got this like kind of this rosy cheek face, but she's a big green ogre. Right. And I remember that that was a thing I struggled with in in D and D campaigns going back or AD and D campaigns <laughs> was that every time I had to deal with a female character from these species and I had to figure out how am I supposed to relate how am I supposed to present this and like an NPC right like right. how am I supposed to present this female orc villager to these this 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 band of largely humanoid fighters as something that is possibly sympathetic because right. in my mind. You know, I'm I'm that kind of I was that kind of DM that didn't want to really sugarcoat. I, mean, I didn't want I didn't want a World of Warcraft. That I guess I didn't make them look like a humanoid female with green skin and and a breast implant. Like right. I made them kind of you know they were or like very not very uh, identifiable as female. Frankly, right, right, right. I mean, so really, they they shouldn't would it? necessarily be. Right. So I don't know. There, I mean. There are very few other than uh, in the simian world, there are very few species on this planet that look like us. But certainly when you look at, uh, you know, females in the simian species, right. they don't look dramatically different than the males. Right. 
males and females may look different to us as humans, but, uh, you know, in the grand picture, they're the same. Right. right? So my female orcs and ogres and things and goblins, were, they just look like goblins. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's one of the things I always loved about Tolkien and a few other fantasy series where the, the, the female dwarves would have beards, too, kind of thing. I'm okay yeah. with that. I, I'm actually totally down with that. They don't have to look like sexy humanoids that are shorter. It's just they're a different species. There's no reason for them to look like a human analog in, as a swimsuit model type thing. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yeah, but so speaking of beards... The elephant in the room is obviously Whiplash in that film. Yeah. You know, I I actually really enjoyed him in that. I think he's totally nuts. <laughs> <laughs> but like he is nuts. I mean, he's just totally batshit crazy. And the the physics of his whips really didn't make any sense. Yeah. At all. It doesn't make sense that he could slice well, through a car, but it wouldn't be slicing into we, the pavement. We talked about that last time. <laughs> we talked about that last time, right? I was irritated at the, uh, like, I was just listening to the podcast in the car, and I was I was really, really, I had a really strong opinion about slicing guns in three parts. <laughs> right. But anyway, that's that was definitely a, a good example of that, where these white hot electrical, electrical whips, not even hot whips, right. electrical whips, cutting things in half. And clean cuts of cars. That's straight. That's straight right. old James Bond, right? Yeah, there, right? I the mean, car. it absolutely is. And those scenes were fun to watch from a oh, I'm watching a comic book movie standpoint. But they really right. didn't necessarily fit compared to the first movie. Here's the thing that that's a movie that I saw in a vacuum when it comes to Mickey Rourke. Right. I didn't understand that he was this hot mess that was imploding because oh, I hadn't seen him <laughs> and I didn't know anything about him. And when I saw him show up and he's got whatever, the weird hair and oh, the like, highlights and, and the highlights and the dreads and the tats and the bird and he, was all <laughs> and he was super roided out and he had the bird. And I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. And what I've come to realize is that he was what happened with him is what happened on Apocalypse Now mm-hmm. with Marlon Brando. Right. Because right? Marlon Brando showed up on set. Not knowing his lines, hundred pounds then, overweight. Yeah, fully the drunk Island of Doctor Moreau, not Apocalypse Now. Sure, yeah. No, no, Apocalypse Now is the same way. Oh, was no, he no. in that? In that? Yeah, the same. I haven't seen Apocalypse yeah, Now same. since high school, so I don't remember oh, it that well. He gets a lot of credit for being Kurtz in Apocalypse Now as being mm-hmm. this visionary, just this, this like you cannot this arresting image that you can't get, you tear your eyes away from, but. Um, everything that I've read and heard about that production is that he just showed up as this incredible hot mess. <laughs> Oh my God, what am I supposed to do? Wow. And he just ran. And in fact, on Script Notes, a certain podcast I told you about, <laughs> they even recently talked about the fact that in the script, it's a very, very good script, but the Kurtz in the script is not the space madness that he brings to it in that performance. Interesting. And that, you know, you read the script and then you watch the movie, and it's an incredible movie with great performances, but that is way off the cliff yeah it absolutely is it's just insane it's i mean it's it's nick nolte level comic book acting. yeah really and (laughs) and in that way that's another uh hulk reference right well so (laughs) you know that's another thing where uh the context around iron man 2 in negatively influenced it right yeah so when i saw it i really really liked him in that role and i liked his although it was weird that he ended up taking that second seat to hammer at the end yeah 
Hammer. He was playing Hammer. He was playing Hammer, right? Hammer, yeah. 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 But uh, Justin Hammer, right? But Justin but, Hammer. But yeah. all, all the same. And he did try to pull his own swindle, but the 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 thing was about it, it was a good example of where the big bad in scene or in act one and two is not the big bad in act three. Right. And yet he seemed to sort of crumple in act three. Like I didn't really feel like he took the power away from hammer enough to really sell his, his end move. Right. But what I loved about it was that it was unlike anything I'd ever seen as far people, people put, uh, Joker on a pedestal from the original Batman, right? right. Nicholson. Oh my God. It's the most amazing thing ever. All I ever saw was Jack Nicholson being smarmy. In exactly. But this was an example of where the villain was so dynamic and also batshit crazy. Right. And Stark saw that in him. Like you're, you don't understand your, your father and my father were friends. This doesn't even happen. And he's right. crazy. Okay. Fine. It's crazy. But it, seeing it as a viewer, I was completely invested in him being that level of just, just he was way off. Absolutely. And I love that. I love with the bird and everything. I did so too. I you know, I, I really liked the aspect of just comic book batshit crazy that he brought to the movie that like the Hulk was missing. Like Thunderbolt Ross did yeah. not have any dimension to him. And once... The abomination was the abomination. You didn't care about him at all. There was nothing about him right. of interest. And it made Whiplash so dynamic in comparison. But you have to admit, though, that the Monte, the Monte Carlo scene was the money scene for that entire movie. Yes. And the fact that it happened in the first act was a problem. Yes. Because that third act where the... You know, Marvel was thinking that fans are going to flip out because War Machine and Iron Man are together back to back, firing missiles, whatever, and dealing with a bunch of drones. And that's going to be so great to me. That's everything that's wrong with that third act, because you know how I feel about drone fighting. Right. Right. Avengers movies. Yeah. And then, you know, and they're in like this almost like they're on the Kill Bill set. Right. Like they're just like, like it was very small scale. It had no sense of it. Like if they had been fighting over the the skies of a major city right? and things were falling down from the skies and blowing up buildings that would have felt intense. But instead right. it was like they're fighting in, you know, like in a Japanese garden. Well, and that's really the and problem with all of the phase one, coming. uh, Marvel films They're They all end with this ridiculous CG heavy. Here's people against hordes of other people scenes. Not, our, or, not the original Iron Man. No, and Iron Iron Man's, like, the only one... I can't remember how Thor ends. And the original Captain America was the same way, no? Right, yeah, Yeah, the original Captain America and Iron Man are the two exceptions to it. But Iron Man 2, for sure, fell apart in that third act, Mm -hmm. but... Although I did like... Some part of me really appreciated the fact that, uh, for all his bravado... Hammer gets arrested in the control room. It's like <laughs> right, right. <laughs> just like he, you know, in the end, he was not. You know, like the the '80s version of that movie or the early '90s version of that movie was. He would grab a gun and put it to a guy's head, and <laughs> exactly. you know, he would start shooting people and running around. <laughs> but instead, he was just like, "Oh, I'm done." Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. No, and I, I did like that. Yeah, he was just what a typical character of that style would have done it wasn't just oh well i'm gonna yeah. jump into a suit and suddenly fly off and start shooting things <laughs> i think the 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 big deal in that movie was that weird 
they use the the pan cameras that like where they put the cameras all the way around the room the three hundred and sixty two right. and they and it was Iron Man and War Machine fighting and then they would spin around them while they were doing it. <laughs> but to me, if I think about that movie, it's all about Monte Carlo. Yes. And him whipping and whipping and whipping the ground just before he even gets to him. Yeah. And 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 uh and Stark fumbling with his briefcase and then Potts and Hogan are there and yeah. all the stuff that I that's all the stuff I love about Iron Man. It's not when he's in his armor and he's invincible. It's when right. he's Stark and he's struggling to get the armor on. And because, you know, he's only as good as a fully armored. Well, except for when he's got the hand. But you know what I'm saying, right? right? Like he's right. it's all about getting it on as fast as he can. But now he's got civilians in the way, people he loves. To me, that whole sequence was ve- and also the the idea that Stark would jump in and and race his own car was very, oh, very, very classic comic Stark. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, that was just great. And again, Iron Man 2 was another one of those cases where the first two-thirds of the film is so solid, and then the last part just kind of adds this, like, this sour, bitter taste yeah. to the yeah, first two-thirds of it. It's just so funny. Like, both of those films, after watching Iron Man, I was like, ugh. I thought I liked this yeah. movie, and then at the end, I'm like, "Oh God, I'm kind of excited about starting the next movie up." And so now you haven't watched Iron Man three, right? In your in your marathon, right? That's the I have segment. seen Iron Man three, but I I almost think we need to move on to Facebook but not for in the, the next marath- episode. <laughs> no, 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 I know, but in the in your marathon, you didn't move on to phase. You didn't oh, see no. Iron Man three in your marathon. No, Iron Man three was not until like four movies later. Okay, yeah. okay, okay, because. Iron Man 2 had this reputation at that time of being the one that was, well, maybe Marvel can make a mistake. Right. Right. And then Iron Man 3 is the one where they said, well, clearly they can make a mistake. And yet (laughs) I still loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think we'll definitely talk about Iron Man 3 some more when we move on to phase two of our Marvel movie discussion. Yeah, sure. But it's... It takes everything you were just saying we love about Iron Man, him as a Tony Stark, as the person, and ratchets it up to 11 and makes it interesting, which I think is great. The idea of him having a, a, a party drunk and then putting the armor on and, and you know, all that stuff, it, it had the right idea, but yeah. it, it didn't ring true. Like right. Something about it was like... I, I've never believed that Tony Stark would want that kind of music and those kind of girls. I agree. Like, he's better than both of those. Yeah. I, I expect Tony Stark, in my mind, to be playing Sinatra and have much more sophisticated women around yes. than those images, which seem very mainstreamed. Yeah, they really know, did. Yeah. And that brings us to a close for this episode of Robot Kraken. Join us next week when we talk about the second half of the Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 1 with the final three movies in that sequence. And in the meantime, if you'd like to get a hold of us, you can reach us at robot-kraken.com. You can also send us an email at salty at robot-kraken.com. Or you can get a hold of us individually. You can find Tom rocking it over at the Third Rail Design Lab, and his Twitter handle is trdl. And you can go to deeplydapper.com to get a hold of me, or er tweet, tweet me at deeplydapper on Twitter. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week when we once again release the Robot Kraken.